Brilliant, thank you, John. Cheers, Laura. Well, Becky's good, isn't she? <laughs> she knows how to, she knows how to, well, sum it up and communicate. A bit of passion, a bit of, a bit of hope, eh? Uh, but Brenda, I think your prayer on them being quiet might be a step too far. <laughs> you can only ask, can't you? <laughs> if it's been taped up as a crime scene in there, I'm pretty sure... <laughs> There's going to be a lot of foam or sugar or cream, something to that effect going on in there. Uh, <laughs> did Becky sign the lease? Is that? Is that no, I signed. Oh no! <laughs> oh well, it's so good to be here. Um, as I walked in, I was like, "Great! There's so many new, more faces. Like it, it, we get to periodically sort of jump in and sort of journey with you every few months, and so." Just to getting to see the new faces is wonderful, and um, it's great that you're here. And um, yeah, I've been asked to join in with this series in Daniel, but um, yeah, just because this is more than just uh, just a, a a management structure where I am asked to look after you guys to make sure you you do what you're meant to do and you've got the resources you need. It's not a management structure. When, when you see the, the beauty of the kingdom of God, you see its relationship, that it's about people serving one another, about allowing each other's gifts to flow. And, and so when we're here, it's part of our expression of what it is to be all for you. And so when we arrive, it's like this is relationship. When you read it in the scriptures, you go, Paul knew the churches he was going to and serving. He could talk of their members and and the people in that community, and he knew of them. And so that's why I was so excited to see Eddie on his feet. And I want to give him a big hug because we've been praying for him. And, uh, And we just care for you guys. And it matters that you're doing well because we're family. As just John and I said, you guys in a way came from the, 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 the family that we were part of, but we came from somewhere else as well. And so I was just, and I've forgotten your name, David and Janet. And, he said, and we were just meeting David and Janet for the first time, realizing a, the guy who leads, the man who leads all of the movement that we're part of, Commission, his name's Guy Miller, used to climb into his back garden in Weymouth and steal apples. <laughs> Or maybe take them. Yeah, but it's just like... <coughs> and just, and I was just saying to him, I've journeyed with Guy for 25 years. And... It, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and you think, this is family. And it just multiplies. This is part of the kingdom of God, and we're part of God's family. And so it matters that we know each other, love one another, and we're rooting for you. So we as a church in Basingstoke... We weren't much dis- dissimilar to you eight years ago. When we, me and Rebecca moved from serving with Guy and Heather in Bournemouth and we moved to Basingstoke about eight years ago, we were about this size. And we were in a theatre studio as well. And, uh, and when we got there, it was full of life and hope and wonderful stuff like this. And I think in the eight years since we've been there, and it is blown by, you can't believe. When we arrived, we had four kids, and the, the, the lad I was sat next to, my youngest, was in a carry cot, and now he's taller than his older sister. And, but you think, we've been there, and, and we've gone from a little studio to probably 250, 300 people, 
We've been able to see a church planted in Andover. With Andover, we were able to see Trinity Life started. Um, we're starting something in North Africa. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're part of strengthening and starting churches in the UK. Uh, we, as a church, we have not just set up our shop on a Sunday morning and said, come on in. We're a church that's going on out. So we're working for gospel uh, racial reconciliation in the town. Uh, and so we're working to see uh, the, those things sorted with sort of, uh, debt and crippling crisis, uh, mental health, isolated elderly. We're not just saying, hey, we're here for us, but we're a kingdom that is expanding and doing good to the town that we've been sent. And I say that not because, oh my goodness, aren't we remarkable? No, this is the mark of a healthy church that you will become. Because it was only a few years ago, that's where we were. And in a few years time, you'll be doing your own things that God has said, right, Swindon needs this. Swindon needs that. And you've been called and placed to do this. And so I'm excited at this, this emerging sapling that's gonna become a mighty oak. And you guys get to be right at the early stages of this, to be in the praying with it. Now, we've been able to pray with you. And so we have monthly prayer meetings and we were praying for you guys just last week, last Sunday evening. And we pray for you a lot. And we love this church and we love the church that it is and the, the church that it will become because God is just he's got his hand on you. And I think that he's got a, a big call for this church. I think Ian was saying it to you a couple of weeks ago. You might feel small, but you're, in, but you're disproportionately impactful. And I know that as the people of God, we've been called to become distinct servants that are faithfully present in this world, in Swindon. And that to change Swindon, it won't be through power. It won't be through violence, which is how we see the world expressing power, isn't it? It'll be through love expressed in forgiveness. It'll be the gentle way of Christ. But to live faithfully and present, when I say present, I mean engaged, alive, hopeful. To live like that in this day and age takes hope. Because, because of the amount of change and threat that this generation is going through, it doesn't, like now we haven't got vegetables apparently, although if, I think if when I go in my shop, there is, so I think the Daily Mail might be exaggerating <laughs> slightly. Really? Maybe. But it's like every time I turn around. But it's increasingly an anxious society that we're living within. And for us as Christians to remain a people of faith, love and hope, it feels like that's even harder sometimes in that environment. But I believe... Our Heavenly Father wants to strengthen you today to remind you that he is present with us, that he is in charge, that it's been far worse before, that he knows what he's doing, and his invitation to you as a follower of Christ is to stay in step with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who wants to comfort you, guide you, lead you, strengthen you. So before we dive in... And read this fantastic passage in Daniel 2. I just want to pray. I just want to pause. I just want to allow the peace of God to descend.
Lord, we uh, come to your word. We love it. We trust it. Because we know that you're its author. You're its protector. And you've given it to us in a faithful, trustworthy way. So we want to read it, knowing it's alive with the Holy Spirit to apply it in our lives today. And we want to be shaped by you and strengthened by you to become the people you've called us to be at a crucial time. You said that it isn't right for us to shrink and fade, but to grow and increase for the good of the town that you've sent us to. And Lord, we want to be that people for this time. Amen. A very clever man from Nottingham, and there's not many from Nottingham that come from Nottingham that prove to be very clever, I imagine. <laughs> Who's that? Who's from Nottingham? My mum. Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> Case in point. <laughs> You've got to have a mother shot now and again. Every age, this Carl Truman says this, sorry. Every age... <laughs> has had its darkness and its dangers. The task of the Christian is not to whine about the moment in which he or she lives, but to understand its problems and respond appropriately to them. Every age has felt awful. Whenever you get placed, wherever it's been, it feels awful, but our job is to understand and respond. Sam Albury says this, in earlier times, a lot of our evangelism started in Genesis 3. You're very naughty and you really need to sort yourself out. <laughs> kind of gospel. We have to begin in Genesis 1 because we don't live in a moralistic age, he says, where we need to prove that people are sinners. We live in an anxious age where we need to prove to people they're worth something. He's not saying that people aren't sinners and you don't need to, they don't need to understand. But he's saying we need to start even further back. They need to know that there is value within them because he made them and he said they're very good. Humanity is very good. Now we went and broke it, <laughs> but he says we've got to start there because we're living in a world where people think they're worthless and full of anxiety. And we need to speak into that. And I think the bar of being salt and light in Swindon is pretty low. Don't be angry all the time. Don't be a an idiot. Don't, don't be someone that doesn't give the benefit of the doubt. Don't isolate into our tribes. Don't give in to the outrage of this day. Be determined by the grace of God to love one another, to serve one another, to give the benefit of the doubt, because love believes the best. That's the posture we want to have. And this book of Daniel I think it's going to help us see some wonderful things. It's one of the, what they call the exilic books. It's a book written whilst they were in exile. The people of God were in exile. The Israelites have been taken by King Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon, into exile. And they were taken from their homeland, Israel, where the government, the arts and the culture believed in the God of the Bible. Everything lined up. And agreed with their, their value system, their government, their arts, everything that expressed itself was like, ah, this is home. This is the way it should be. And they're taken from there into a culture that, that was Babylonian and hostile to the biblical God. It was so contrary 
so opposite, so different, such a contrast. And I find that that moment of imagining what it might be to be dragged from one culture and landed in another that feels so hostile to provoke a question for us. How do we as Christians who have a, a value system of the kingdom of heaven as followers of Christ live within an unbelieving and hostile environment like the world that we live within? Not because they're horrible people, but because they're lost, they're confused, their value systems are upside down, they're scrambling to cope. And we've been called to show something better, something different. And so I want to look at three things if we get the time. Firstly, we'll look at who we're called to be. Secondly, our motivation for being hope-filled, faithfully present people. And thirdly, how Daniel expressed his faith in the situation. So what it means for us to know the moment we're in and how to take it. So knowing who we are. Reality is we're God's alternative society. See, to be human is to live within a social structure. That's just it. Wherever you're at, you're in a social structure. Ideally, it causes you to thrive and flourish. So whether it is Roman, Egyptian or Persian societies, or whether it's American, African, European or Asian societies, within each of them, there are pockets of society that follow Jesus. These are the community of people that we embrace the politics of Jesus, that Jesus has given us a way of ordering the world so to lead to a life of joy and wholeness. And Jesus' way of doing things is radically different, radically other to the rest of humanity in the way in which it orders itself. And the church consists of the baptised people learning to live the Jesus way together. You can't learn it in a book. You can't learn it on your own. It's not a solo effort. It must be done together. That's why we're here, strengthening one another and serving one another and inviting more into this space. See, Christians should be a dynamic counterculture where we live. It's not enough for us to simply live as individuals within this, this big town of Swindon. We need to be a particular kind of people. We need to stand out. There needs to be distinctives about us. In the Bible, in Genesis 11, you can see this. There's the tale of two cities. You've got man's city that's built on the principle of personal glorification. It's all about me and myself. But in Psalm 48, you get the city of God. It is beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. We are the joy of the whole earth. The world just doesn't know it yet. And we need to demonstrate it, model it, invite people to it. And so, in other words, the urban society of Jesus that God wants is based on service, not selfishness. And its purpose is to spread joy from its cultural riches to the whole world. That's what we're doing is spreading joy from our cultural riches, the kingdom's culture, the riches of that beautiful world that God is God's to the whole world. Christians are called to be an alternative city within the city our job is to show how money sex and power can be used in non-destructive ways to show how classes and races that cannot get alongside each other outside of christ in christ find dignity value and worth in equality to use these things to bring hope to people rather than despair or cynicism and there's these 
Jesus societies, which we are one, and there are other great churches in this town, live faithful to the Jesus way in a hostile environment. They are light to the world and salt to the earth. We embody the Jesus way. We become a beacon of hope. We're a bonfire to which people are drawn in a world of confusion. We are salt because we preserve simply by existing. Trinity life, God's call upon us is to continually learn to be faithful as the society of Jesus within Swindon for the glory of God and to submit to his gradual transformation to what it is to live up to your true identity as followers of Christ, living generous and loving and compassionate and pure and loyal and content and confident reflections of Jesus to our hurting world. It says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16, though outwardly we're wasting away, I know that because my knee keeps giving out. Randomly, I'll just turn like that and it'll go. <laughs> I get outwardly, I'm wasting away and I'm limping along. But inwardly, we're being renewed or renovated day by day. God is at working you, renewing you and strengthening you, even if your body tells you otherwise. And this is our hope and our daily pursuit that we have together, is that we will faithfully demonstrate the way of Jesus in this world and that we'll be an invitation to many. So let's read this passage of Daniel 2 together. Daniel 2, uh, verses 1 to 30. <coughs> In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your house turned into piles of rubble. Delightful. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell the servants his dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time <laughs> because you realize that this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. That feels like parenting, doesn't it? <laughs> so then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of a magician, an enchanter or an astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the, the king except the gods and they do not live amongst the humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. That's a bold move. And so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. 
and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put de to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke with him with wisdom and with tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. And then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the Lord of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And during the, the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And Daniel praised the God of heaven, as you would in a moment like that, and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. And then Daniel went to Arioch whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream. And Ariel took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man amongst the exiles from Judah who can tell you what his dream means. And the king said to Daniel, who is also known as Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery that he is asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what it is that is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. You feel the tension laid into that. He knows that they're going to be murdered and he knows that this is his moment. This is the time to step up. This is the time to step in. And he knows who to go to. But before we understand the moment and what it is for you to know your moment, I think it's really important we know our motivation. Why are we doing this? See, the book of Daniel is so relevant to us today. See, some generations ago, particularly when like Billy Graham was in the country preaching the gospel, he would say, I could preach onto a, a canvas the gospel. I could preach because England had this Christianity sort of laid into its culture. And when you spoke about Jesus, people knew who you were talking about. And so I could just do some detail work and just pull out the emphasis. 
that there was a cultural heritage there of Christianity. That's not there anymore. That's not there anymore. Could have been said that the British culture, the arts, the government, the media was warm and favourable toward Christian values and doctrines. They'd have seen them as a benefit to society generations ago. That would have been how it would have been seen. Whereas today, Christians and Christianity are looked upon with suspicion as if we're a threat to the supposedly progressive society that we are hindering. Just have a look at Kate Forbes, who was running for SNP leadership this week, being sidelined because of her orthodox Christian ethics on sexuality and marriage. She's seen within, particularly of the SNP setting, <laughs> a threat to progression, where in fact she holds on to the sexual ethic and the, um, and the marriage values that have been inherent for 6,000 years and have only changed in the last 15 minutes. And apparently we need to change our values to align. Amount of times that people are saying, surely you've got to move with the times. If you want to grow, you need to compromise and give up. Give up your standing on this situation. You need to adopt new practices to become 21st century if you want to survive. The reality is that the churches that will be growing and alive and pumping, statistically analysed, but also just true because we know it to be so, will be the conservative orthodox churches that understand and hold to the word of God and that believe that God is an unchanging God. They are statistically the ones that are growing now. It is the churches that are liberal in nature, that have thrown away the scriptures as a place of authority, that believe that God is shifting to suit our society are the ones that are shrinking and growing even though we're being told to become like them if we want to imagine a future that's bright. Now I'm not against people that believe differently. I've got loads of friends like that. But we're not going to swallow the pill, the lie that says we need to lose who we are to assimilate in, to become something so that we have a future. We will trade it all and we will watch in decades to come those churches that are told to be the progressive, that where the future lies won't exist. And churches that have held to the timeless truth of scripture will be standing faithful like we've always done for century upon century upon century. And it will take us courage and conviction to know why we stand there. It will take deep thought and deep relationship with our Father in heaven to know why we stand, where we stand, that we aren't against people. We don't hate them just because we don't see eye to eye on certain values. But we see that within the society we're in, we're misunderstood. In a way, we're like Daniel. In a way, we live within a hostile society that doesn't understand us, doesn't appreciate us. And we're asked... And it makes us ask the question, how do we live as a people with integrity in a society like this? And I think when you look at this story that's just been told us, Daniel actually had two names. He had Daniel, which is the, is the, is the, is the name that meant God is my Lord and he is my judge. So that's his Hebrew name. But it was also given a Babylonian name, which was uh, Belteshazzar, which means Bel is my God. He was living, even within his own names, in a place of tension. 
And I think as we just look at his, his, this story and this moment and an insight into it, a man who is now at the very top of the political structure within a pagan society, living with the tension of knowing who he is and who they, others want to tell him he is, that we will see in his some principles what it is to live a life of integrity in an unbelieving world. I mean, the context is Babylon turns up into Israel and takes 10,000 of the elite. If you want to change a society, change the elite. That's what his philosophy was, and assimilate them into your culture. And Daniel was part of that elite. And he takes them, and this is 10 years before Nebuchadnezzar comes back and then takes everybody into exile. And when they're taken, this elite are taken into Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar's vision is, I'm going to divide and conquer. I'm going to make you lose your identity. I'm going to make you lose your value system. I'm going to Babylonize you. I'm going to turn you into us. And you're going to lose who you are and you're going to forget and you'll become like us. And then you'll lose your distinctiveness. You'll lose your power. And in Jeremiah 28, you can see that they've moved into the country and they've settled in Nippur along a canal some miles outside the city of Babylon. And false prophets rise up to speak to Israel at this moment. And their words to them in Jeremiah 28 is, don't move into the city, stay away. That's a wicked place, a pagan city. You don't go in there where we are the people of God. We stand aloof to this, have nothing to do with it and pray against the city. Because we foresee that God will judge that city and we will come back out on top. There was this hope that they would be back in power once again. So stand outside, tut, judge, pray against, and just wait for them to be torn to shreds until we come back into power. That was what the false prophets were saying to them. But Jeremiah, the true prophet of God, heard these false words and wrote to the people of God a letter. And he wrote to them the revealed will of God for the exiles, which we find in Jeremiah 29, which is the blueprint for the way in which Daniel chose to live his life. It's our blueprint for how we live our life within this society. It says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those carried off into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity to the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams and encourage you uh, to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. God says to these people that have been sent into exile, get stuck in. Settle down multiply, increase, seek the peace and the prosperity. 
This is the motivation he gives the people of God in exile is to seek the peace and prosperity. And this must have been astounding for them, counterintuitive even as they listened because they thought we're better than them and our job is to remain distant. And I think three paradigm shifting insights happened for the people of God at that moment. Firstly, God was telling them, get a bigger picture for what I'm doing. This is the city to which I carried you. It's part of my plan that we as Christians live within a hostile society. That's what he's saying to us. It's part of my plan to renew and refine you in this place. This is what he's saying to us. It's part of my plan to renew, refine and grow the town to which I've sent you, Swindon. It's part of my plan to bring good news to the world. So move in. Don't stay away. Settle down. Settle in. The second thing I think they would have understood is that God refused to let them believe they only had two options, that they were to either assimilate and become just like them or to separate and become self-righteous. The false prophets are saying, stay out and pray against them. And the town was saying, come on in and just join the club. But God is saying, don't assimilate. Don't lose your identity. Increase in number. Don't decrease. Build houses, plant produce, eat from the land, marry off your children and have more kids. Seek the peace and prosperity of the place to which I have carried you. Be deeply involved in the culture economically. Raise your family there. Be deeply involved in the life of the city, but live distinctively. But how do you do that? How do we move into the, with not just physically, but our hearts and our minds and our, and our wallets and our time and our commitment? How do we move into that hostile city whilst remaining citizens of heaven? God is saying to us, I don't want you to move in to the city and love the city and hate me. That would be for us to assimilate. He doesn't ask us to move into the city and hate the city and love God. That would be to separate. He wants us to move into the city and love the city and love God. To believe that God is at work to renew the city, to restore it, to bring it into its wholeness. So how do we do that? We love the city and we seek its peace and prosperity. We love Swindon and we seek its peace and prosperity because we ultimately look upon our friends and go, sin is a tyrant and it has caught this town up and the way to freedom is through Christ alone. It's what we've known ourselves and it's a liberty and a joy and a freedom that they don't yet know, but they can. And so we want to bring that to them for their good. Because if this town prospers, then you too will prosper. The key thing is your motivation. Why are you invested in this town? Why are you caring for it? Why are you here? Are you here to judge them or just to become like them? No, as people of God, we are distinct servants, faithfully present. There's this word in the scriptures, shalom, which means peace, but it's not just silence, <laughs> Brenda. <laughs> it's more than that, isn't it? 
It's total well-being, complete and total well-being. We seek not just silence in Swindon. (laughs) No, we want total well-being, spiritual, physical, emotional well-being. So we can't just sit on the outside tutting at their failures. We get into the city and spend our life for them to make this place a great place, a safe place, a prosperous place, to spread faith and help those in need doing everything out of love for the city because Corinthians would tell us if love doesn't motivate us, then we shouldn't bother. We're just wasting our time. So we pray for them. We love the city of God. We Swindon, warts and all, and we're going to love it until there's no need left. So as I wrap up, I want to just look at this and go, how do we know our moment? If we know who we are, We know our motive. How do we know our moment? Because God is going to present opportunities to you to step up and step in. So when faced with challenge or mystery, because that's what Daniel has in this moment, a life or death moment where he's presented this situation where he's left with a mystery, something he can't know. He does what we're invited to do as well is to speak to God and expect him to speak to us because we're in a living relationship. We don't have a religious set of values and laws that we sign up to and then we're in the club as a Christian. Our salvation didn't become, come to us because we adopted an ideology or a set of thinking. No, we got saved by a person. We got saved by a person who sacrificed himself to make a way for us to be forgiven and restored. That person rescued us. That's why we love him. And that's why we enter into an ongoing relationship with him where we expect him to speak because he loves to speak. And so when you're faced with a challenge, knowing who you are, I'm a distinct person that sits within this society. I know that I love them and I don't want their downfall. I want their prosperity. You'll be presented with moments to make a difference. And it's upon you to know how to do this. See, when faced with a mystery, ask God and expect him to speak. And it might be in a dream like this. It might be from the scriptures. It might be an inspired conversation that you have. God will speak. Now, in my experience where it breaks down is I'm not always listening or if I've heard, I don't want to act. (laughs) I'm not always motivated for someone's good. I'm not always confident in who I am. The challenge on us is to act regardless of the consequences we fear. This could be on issues of justice. You might come across domestic abuse or trafficking or you might want need to be a voice for the voiceless. You find yourself in a setting where I've got to step up. I've got to put my head above the parapet. It could be speaking in wisdom and life into a toxic work culture. It could be for inspiration for a difficult relationship. Or you're seeking breakthrough with a child. I remember growing up and I was really off with God, like miles away. And my behaviour, the world I lived in, the way I lived, the way I sought the world... I was well off track. And genuinely, my mum looked at me and thought, he's never coming back. There's no way 
this lad who's well and truly into the weeds right now is ever coming back to Jesus. She despaired and she just was praying and just felt God say to her, just, just take him breakfast in bed. Just take him breakfast in bed. Just keep doing that. She thought, what on earth am I doing? Making breakfast and taking it into to this little oik that doesn't deserve it. <laughs> he doesn't deserve breakfast in bed. Do you know what that was to me? It showed me someone loved me. They knew me and they cared for me and they went above and beyond what I knew a wretch I was. I knew I didn't deserve this. And it looked like a very innocuous little act of service. In fact, it unlocked my heart. In fact, it showed something to me. It was part of God's tapestry of reaching me. She just served me. It was a little act of wisdom, a little act of service because she prayed and got wisdom. God knew how to unlock my heart. It started by getting up five minutes earlier and making me some breakfast. Grace does that. Grace knows how to unlock our hearts, knows how to draw us home. It reminded me that I didn't have to live alone and isolated and I was not doing well. And that actually there was something of the kindness of God available to me and exhibited in what my mum was doing, just in the smallest little expression. Could be the opportunity in front of you is you might have a complex work situation or a complex situation. I know that architects would say, oh, that, uh, that bit of the engineering, total inspiration because I couldn't work it out in my technical knowledge and I prayed and God gave me an insight and that bridge, that bit of that bridge that's being held up right now, that, the inspiration was given to me in a moment when I prayed and God said, ding, that's how it is. You need to do this and this and this and it will work. And he did it and it did. It's like God knows how to get into the very nuts and bolts of your very practical day and give you wisdom and inspiration, but expect God to speak to you. So the challenge for us is are we fully invested in our company, in our neighbourhood, in our family, in this town? Will you take responsibility and step up to the opportunity? Will you speak truth to power in love? Because as people of God, we derive our strength from a different place. It isn't their approval, it's from the Father's. To be fully known and fully loved means that we're free from comparison, free from opinion, free from rejection, free to be who we've called to be, to love and serve this town to which you've been carried. Amen.